0: This program is brought to you by the partners of Arute Awakening International. Help others find truth. Support Arute Awakening International today.
1: As a believer, Purim, the story of Esther, is the story of your life. Learn how this ancient Hebrew story has modern-day meaning for believers in Michael Rood's four-part Purim series tonight, next Friday, and a doubleheader two weeks from now. Stay tuned for Purim, The Making of a King's Bride, because it's the end of the sixth day, the sun is set, and this is Shabbat Night Live. Shabbat Shalom to our fans. Welcome to a special extended version of Shabbat Night Live with Michael Rood. Purim is probably uh, not the first celebration you might think of, but it is significant nonetheless. Uh, No, it's not a commanded feast, but it is indeed applicable to believers. In fact, Purim is prophetic. Did you know that? Michael did an amazing four-part teaching on this a few years ago, and we thought uh, you would appreciate it uh, watching it now. So we have the first episode tonight. But first, welcome to a new month. It is the first month, uh, first Shabbat of that is, on the 12th month, uh, also known as Adar, on the astronomically and agriculturally corrected biblical Hebrew calendar. There you can see it on your screen. It's also the first Shabbat of the month of February, which means we have a lot to talk about with my co-host, Partner Services Manager, David Robinson. Hello, good to be here. Good to see you. Yeah. So let's get right into it. So we have a new month. We have a new love gift. We have We have a do. Month, uh, love gift every month. Mm-hmm. This helps to uh, support Shabbat Night Live and all the other things going Absolutely. on here in the ministry. Yep. And uh, we have a special teaching uh, in addition to some other special things right here, uh, which we are uh, looking at some Hebrew uh, just before the cameras came <laughs> on yeah. to make sure we knew what we were talking about. <laughs> but first of all, speaking yeah. of Hebrew, we have a Hebrew guy doing mm-hmm. a teaching uh, this month and his name is Yehuda Glick. And uh, Yehuda Glick is a friend we've had here on Shabbat Night Live before with Keith Johnson, and uh, he's a Temple activist. Mm-hmm. Lives in Israel. He was also running for uh, president. Yeah, a politician. At one point. Too, yeah, a politician. And uh, he was actually shot on the Temple Mount. Wow! I didn't uh, know yeah, that. several years ago. Yeah, and oh it was God. just because he was there trying to basically say that all peoples had a right to come up to the Temple Mount and worship. Right. But the Muslim folks kind of lay claim to the Temple Mount nowadays, mm-hmm. and they said, no, you can't do that, and sure enough, that terrorist came up and, and shot him point blank. Wow. But uh, but yeah, he survived, and he's still doing it today. And so he is, as uh, Keith Johnson calls him, a modern-day Maccabee.
2: This is gonna be really interesting. It
1: is, yeah, so this is, this is about him clearing the way for the Third Temple. Is there gonna be a Third Temple? Uh, Yehuda says, pretty much, duh. Yeah, Yeah, of course there's there's gonna be a third temple. It's not just a (laughs) prophetic, it's not just a spiritual thing. Yes, there's gonna be a third temple. Why do you think we're doing all this? (laughs) It's gonna be really
2: interesting to see or hear uh, from his side what it will take to achieve this task. That's gonna be really interesting.
1: Yeah, and his is not about defeating the enemy and, you know, he's, no, he's like, no, let's make this a place for all people to come up. He says it's kind of a shame that right now in the center of the most, what's supposed to be the most holy city in the world, mm-hmm. that it's a center of conflict. Right. And that just tears his heart apart and he hates that. So that's why he's trying to open it up and say, look, Let's let's talk with the Muslim people. It's okay for Christians to be here. It's okay because right now, if you go up there, um, Nehemiah will tell you this: that if you go to the Temple Mount and you're found to be mouthing words of a prayer, you're escorted off right. the, off the area. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, it's crazy. Just just for praying. So it's, and not even praying, just even praying silently. So anyway, that is your gift with $50 or more uh, with the love gift this month. Now, David, we have some other stuff. What is that We have
2: this beautiful, uh, it's uh, olive wood, and then it has stainless steel mezuzah, and you take this cap off, and of course, you have inserted in here your tour scroll. And when we were shooting the commercial for this, uh, nobody realized that. (laughs) You know what? I I picked these things out, and I didn't, I had no clue, and I was uh, trying to get it out of the box, and this cap flew off and Ken, Kenny was out here and he went and grabbed it. And we looked and went, oh, okay. Now, I have I have seen this in other mezuzahs, but this one also has a Torah
1: scroll. Oh, well, there you go. Okay, yeah, great. So that is with, uh, with a gift of $100, $100 or more, you get both of these things there.
2: Exactly. Right? And then we have the yad, which is a Torah porner. Yes,
1: and yad in Hebrew means? Hand. Hand.
2: Yeah. And that's what it is. It's a, it's a, a hand. little hand.
1: You can see right here, you have
2: a porner. And so... Uh, that keeps you, uh, you know, from touching the actual skin of the Torah scroll. Yeah,
1: because you don't want to get your oils on there. get your oils on there. It.
2: And the chain is on it because, um, on most Torahs, uh, or if you have ever been to a synagogue, you can they have a Torah ark. Yes. And it usually faces east. And so this chain is to hang it on the actual. Torah and put into the Torah art, Yep. So very wonderful piece, and it says, uh, if I forget you, old Jerusalem, uh, may I forget my skill.
1: And you don't need a Torah scroll. You can use it to follow along in your Bible. Absolutely. Why not?
2: Absolutely, but see, these things are great. I mean, even the mezuzah, I love it when people come up to the door and they go, what is that? You know, they're great uh, ministry tools to, to actually get into discussions, you
1: know. <laughs> you what have a great story you told about a guy who saw the mezuzah on your front door <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. and made an assumption. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah, and this me. guy,
2: this guy, or <clears throat> I'm assuming it's a guy, but we have Ring, but we have a mezuzah there on our, our door frame. And I walk out one day and there's a, uh, a Gideon Bible leaning against the door. So I went back and looked at the footage of Ring and there was no one there. So I know they... Knew we had a ring and they snuck around the edge and you know they came up and they put this Gideon Bible with a note in there telling me about Yeshua and not knowing that I know Yeshua and this Bible smelled like an
1: ashtray, you know. So it's just really funny and we
2: we um we got a big
1: kick out of that actually. So well, what the guy obviously knew what a mezuzah was. He definitely did. He okay.
2: he thought you know we were Jewish and didn't know the Messiah and. that's great. I wanted to
1: know who it was so I could explain to them. Do not fret. So if you want this to happen at your house. (laughs) Yeah, get them them, them a Susan, put it on your door frame. (laughs) So anyway, so that all of these collections, this is all yours for a gift of $300 or more. And all of this is from Michael Rood. You're not buying these things. Michael says, you know what? People support this ministry. I wanna give them something to say thank you. And that's all this is. That is is. to say thank you for supporting us. Uh, You're not buying the stuff. Um, You know, Yehuda came here. I, you know, He was not paid to come here or something. He came here, gave of his time, gave you this teaching, so he wanted to give to you as well. So he totally believes in this ministry, so.
2: Yeah, he does, and we, and we wanna thank you guys for making 2021 a wonderful year. Under yes. the pandemic and everything, our partners are just incredible. They continue to give. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gaining new partners. And so this enables us to be able to bring you the programs
1: and information that you, you wanna see and hear. Absolutely. Now, a couple things we have to mention before we run out of time. Passover 2022 is yes. coming. There you see the information on the bottom of your screen. You can sign up now. It is free. It's all online. It's March 18th and 19th. We think it will be anyway. Yeah, unless there's eight nadar bet. Unless there's eight nadar bet, which is very likely this year, if that's the case because everything's online, guess what, no harm, no foul, we're gonna move it to April. So we'll just stay tuned, but for right now, sign up. It's gonna be in March or April. You need to register in order to see it online, even though it's free, so we can send you some information about it, okay? So that's one thing, Passover. Also, uh, we have a new affiliate link. If you wanna buy anything on Amazon, there's the link at the bottom of your screen. If you go through that link, it doesn't cost you anymore. But what happens is a portion of your purchase will come back to the ministry. Exactly. So thank you for doing it, you can do that. Just go to rudeawakening.tv slash Amazon. And one more thing, don't forget about the Messianic Net. This is uh, Ted Clayton and uh, his friend uh, Don, who is in Idaho, uh, who are arranging this ham radio Community. Community. Thank you. Yes. Every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, you can tune in at. 7.237 7.237 megahertz.
2: And understand this: that when you know uh, Ted goes to, to do this, he looks at what frequencies open and clean, so uh, it would be yep. all, you know be able to hear very well. Sometimes other people jump on those frequencies, so
1: you know if there's we'll, a lot of noise with the There's a lot of noise or whatever, so. you may be able to tune in, you may not, but just right. uh, know and this. It all depends cause. on Ted told me how the, uh, the radio waves are behaving that night, too. right? So that just keep that in mind. But anyway, that is uh, every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. Sounds good, thanks David. All right, as a believer, Purim is the story of Esther and it's the story of your life too. So you can learn how this ancient Hebrew story has modern day meaning for believers with a special encore teaching from Michael Rue tonight. That's up next, but first, it's time to get out your bread and wine for the Kiddush, right after this. Against all odds, the Maccabees rose up and claimed victory to restore Yehovah's temple in the second century BC. Over 2000 years later, a modern day Maccabee is once again clearing the way for the third and final temple of Yehovah.
2: The reason we need it is you don't want a terror base in the
1: center of your capital, in the holiest place in the world.
2: We want this place to be a world center of
1: peace. Amen. In this month's love gift teaching, the modern-day Maccabee, temple activist and Israeli political figure Yehuda Glick shares his inspiring story to reclaim the Temple Mount in the name of Yehovah as a place for all peoples to worship the one true God. This inspiring teaching is not for sale, and it's not available on YouTube. But Michael Rood will send you this teaching as a gift for your donation. Donate a $50 love gift and we'll send you the Modern Day Maccabee on DVD or Blu-ray. Or for a donation of $100, we'll send you the Modern Day Maccabee plus an olive wood mezuzah with stainless steel overlay etched with a blessing for your home. Or with a donation of $300, we'll send you the Modern Day Maccabee, the olive wood mezuzah with stainless steel overlay and a beautiful Torah pointer. Featuring rich red and black colors and gold tone accents. These gifts are a limited-time offer from Michael Rood to thank you for your support. Make your donation today and receive the $50 gift, the $100 gift, or the $300 gift. The modern-day Maccabee gift collections are available only in February and supplies are limited. Call now to receive your gifts, 888-766-3610. That's 888-766-3610. Or get your gifts online
0: at monthlylovegift.com. When Yeshua fed the 5,000 with leavened barley loaves in the Galilee, the Pharisees came down on him because they accused him that he and his disciples did not wash their hands before they ate bread. They did not wash their hands with a negel vessor and say this prayer, blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctified us by your commandments, commanding us concerning the washing of hands. Why didn't Yeshua do that? Why didn't his disciples follow that? Because it is Takenot. It is a law which they invented, and Moses said no one is ever allowed to add to or subtract from. But the night of the Last Supper, Yeshua took bread and he put in place a rehearsal that was really put in place by the Kohen Gadol, the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek himself brought forth bread and wine to Abraham. And Yeshua interpreted that very thing. This is what Yeshua put in place, that before we eat bread, that we say this prayer. And as often as we do this, we do it in remembrance of him because his broken body was broken for us, and by his stripes, we were healed. So as often as we do this, as often we do it in remembrance of him. And Yeshua took the cup, and he said, Baruchotah Yehovah Eloheinu Prihagafin. The creator of the fruit of the vine, Yeshua. Hovah created the fruit of the vine. He said, this represents the renewed covenant in my blood. As often as you do this, do this. Remember me and remember, I will be drinking this with you at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Shabbat shalom. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if you will please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Hadassah. It is uh, anglicized, uh, her pagan name, uh, Esther, or Easter, and so we are going to now go into the very story that we bring about each time, this time of year, each year and it was a little over 2,500 years ago. According to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which never changes, it can never be nullified, that it was Mordecai and Hadassah who said that all the Jews will keep this feast every year forever. Now, this isn't for all of Israel. Israel had been scattered, had been in captivity, but the Jews who were in slavery or in uh, uh, taken away into captivity in Babylon, it is there that the story, that the events recorded in the book of Esther transpired and it is to remember this every single year because, ladies and gentlemen, this has very prophetic significance for the last days as well. For the next four weeks, we are going to dig into Purim, the making of the king's bride and tonight it is the vanquishing of Vashti. So we're going to start out with the book of Hadassah, as I uh, like to call her by her Hebrew name, and we're going to find out how this young Jewish girl ended up with the name that represents the Babylonian goddess of fertility, Esther, or Esther. And so now we begin reading in chapter one, verse one, Now it came to pass in the days of Akashverosh, the Akashverosh, this is the Akashverosh which reigned from India even unto Ethiopia. Uh, This most likely is Xerxes. Because of the detail that we have here, this is Xerxes. Now remember, it is Xerxes that takes the million man army and then attacks Greece and is unable to, to bust through the 300 Spartans who are able to hold back the 1000000 man army until the Grecians are able to repel the army of Xerxes. But Xerxes, it says he reigns from India to the Indus River in, in India all the way to Ethiopia over 107 and 20 Provinces, 127 provinces, now we need to understand this, that this goes all through what is now modern day Turkey all the way down into the continent of Africa all the way to the Indus River in India. These are 127 kingdoms. These are nations, these are not like little provinces or little states like in the United States. No, this is a vast, vast empire and his million man army was said to have uh, drank rivers dry. They would completely destroy all of the, uh, all the vegetation as they went through an area to, just to feed this incredible army. But now it is a time of peace. And now he reigns over this entire area, 127 countries, and in those days, in verse two, when King Akashverosh sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, which is Babylon, the palace, in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all of his princes and all of his servants. The power of Persia and Media, the all of the authority, the power, the kingship, all of the rulers, the nobles and the princes of the province being before him, and it says that when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the honor of his excellent majesty many days, even a hundred and four score days, one hundred and eighty days, he throws a party which involves all of the nobility. All of the grand viziers, all of the the rulers and the under rulers are brought together for a world's fair, 180 days, six months. This is when he is showing all the grandeur, all the majesty, all the glory of the greatest empire that reigns over the the then, then known world. And this is what it looked like. And when these days were expired, these 180 days, these six months world fair in which he's showing all the technology, all the majesty, all the glory, and remember, he has conquered all these different cultures. And the wealth of these cultures, the intellectual property of these cultures, the uh, the artisans, uh, the, the artwork, everything that uh, is in his domain are being exhibited and this is such a grand and glorious occasion. Look how this thing transpires. When these 180 days, six months were expired, the king made a feast unto all the people that were present in Shushan the palace, both unto great and small. From the highest and those who lived in Babylon and Shushan in that area, at that point, everyone who was there participated in this. And it was a feast for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. Now, we're gonna see the court of the garden of the king's palace. He spares absolutely no expense on this. In verse six it says, where were white and green and blue hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rings and pillars of marble. So, you know, if you can imagine this this grand garden of the king where he has marble pillars that are made for this occasion. Beautiful, polished marble pillars. And on these marble pillars are, are beautiful silver rings and through these silver rings are these linen cords. Now, they have to be linen, which is much stronger than silk because over the whole area, this is a party that goes on day and night for seven days, and so they have to have shade, and so these beautiful, Billowing white and green and blue silk fabrics floating in the wind attached by these linen cords on these silver rings on marble. It is the most glorious environment for the culmination of everything that the king, the emperor has to display in his kingdom. And it says the beds were of gold and silver And now what does this mean? The beds were gold and silver. Now. How do you get comfortable on a bed of gold and silver? Well, this uh, th- this particular servant's cap that I'm wearing, this is a fabric that came out of Damascus. In fact, uh, it is uh, Reuben Prager who was building some of the accoutrements in the restoration of some of the traditions and cultures of the second temple period. He built the aperion, or the royal wedding litter. And in order to build this, he had to have a fabric, to, and he went to a merchant who is a mutual friend of ours who went all the way to Damascus to secure this. Now he had, when he finished the royal aperion, the royal wedding litter, he had just enough to make one servant's cover. He made it for himself, but it was too small. When I went in there, and uh, Reuben was outfitting me for our our television program in my bag of debris. He put it on me and it fit perfectly. Ladies and gentlemen, this much, this much of this fabric, one meter long, this wide, 60 centimeters, $600. Why? Because this is gold and silk. This is what this is made of. It's a fabric that is literally made of spun gold and silk. Now, I also have a little bit of the silver uh, the, the silver and the silk. And this is what these beds were made out of. Now, remember, it's day and night, 24 hours around the clock, and people do not sit in chairs in ancient Babylon, no. They are, they are reclining on these beds. They are there for all the meals. They spend the night there. And each one of these beds were made of gold and silk and silver and silk. Each one of these beds would have been the equivalent in our day and time of $10,000. $10,000 he is spending on these couches for the people to sleep on and to recline on to eat around the tables in this grand grand garden. And then it goes on to say, and he gave them, uh, oh wait, wait, and upon the pavement of red and blue and white and black marble. And so now you've got all the artisans, the great artisans from the empire who are putting a marble down with all these different colors and all these intricate patterns. This is like the, the one of the wonders of the world that we have never been able to see because it was long ago destroyed and they gave them drink in vessels of gold the vessels being diverse one from another now a gold vessel of the weight that would be necessary in our day and time each one of these vessels was between 8 and 10000 dollars just in gold weight itself But we're talking about each one of these being intricately done, beautifully done, every one of them different. Every one of them an exquisite piece of artwork. You could expect in our day and time, because there are such artisans in the land of Israel who do this magnificent work today, you could expect anywhere from 15 to $20,000 for every cup of which these grand kings are drinking from during this seven day feast at the end of this 180 day extravaganza. And royal wine was in abundance according to the state of the king and he had the best Cabernet Sauvignon in the entire Mesopotamian Valley, I guarantee you. And the drinking was according to the law, none did compel. Now, what does it mean? It doesn't mean that no one is compelled to drink. No, no one stopped anyone from drinking anything they wanted to have day and night for the entire period of time. This is the law. Whatever anyone wants, they get it. The best stuff in the entire empire is yours. This is the party of the emperor. All of the wealth of the empire is in his hands to show off and to treat his kings who are gathered for this very event. For so the king had appointed to all the officers of the house that they should do according to every man's pleasure, whatever they wanted. No, this is a buffet, this is, you know, whatever is desired, this is what is made available. Also, Vashti, and the word Vashti means beauty, beautiful, but it's not just beautiful, it's ravishing beauty. And this is what this woman had going for her. She was an absolute stunning knockout, like the most gorgeous woman in the entire empire. And this is the name of the queen. Now, it's uh, uh, interesting that the name of Akashvarosh means if I remain silent, I will become poor. And we're gonna see what happens right here in the vanquishing of Vashti that we understand his name and understand exactly what is going on. So Vashti, this ravishing beauty, the queen, made a feast for the women in the royal house which belonged to King Akashvarosh. And so, you know, it's telling us, okay, okay, the this palace, the royal house, it belongs to Akashvarosh. She married into this, and yet he gave her everything to throw a party for seven days for the women. And again, anything that they wanted. There was nothing that was restrained from them. The men had their own party. The women had their own party. Sometimes that's a good way to do it. So the women get to talk about women things. The men get to talk about men things. And who knows what is going on in the women's court as far as... The the, uh, uh, the the talk of the day. We can only imagine it because these are the wives, the brides, the concubines of these kings that have been brought in. This is one uh, elaborate party that is going on. On the seventh day, and this is, remember, seven-day feast because, and this is the last day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine. It is now the end of the sixth month. It's the final day. This is the uh, the pinnacle of the celebration. He then commanded, Mehuman, Biztha, Harbona, bigtha Abagtha, Zethar, Carcass, the seven chamberlains who are the chief officers in the household of the king, his most trusted personal staff, and he, they were the ones that served in the presence of Akashvarosh, the king. And he commanded them to go and bring Vashti, the ravishing beauty, and bring the queen before the king with the royal crown. So this is an honor. They are going to place the royal crown upon Vashti, and she is going to be called in to show the people and the princes her beauty, for she was fair, she was more than fair. She was more than average, she was the stunning beauty, the knockout of the entire empire. And the king wants to bring her in in a place of honor and to show her off because, you know, let's face it, it's his trophy bride, he could have anyone and this is his trophy. But. We're going to see that, you know, beauty sometimes is only skin deep. But the Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's commandment by his chamberlains. Therefore, the king was very wroth, and his anger burned in him. Now, I've heard people say, Well, she was afraid that she's going to get raped or something. Oh, are you out of your mind? The bride of the king being brought in in a procession of honor. What did she do? She disrespected her husband. She disrespected the emperor in front of everyone. Who knows what had been going on with the chit-chat with these women in the other room, but she decides, I'm not going in. I don't care what he says. I'm going to do it my way. I don't, I want to, you know, I've been drinking too. I don't want to go in. I look bad or whatever, whatever excuse was. Her husband brings her in at the culminating moment of this entire thing because he wants to show off his beautiful bride and she disrespects him. And so now you understand why his anger burned in him. How could she do this to me? I I'm the emperor. I get anything I want, and she's saying no. She's not going to do it. Oh, then the king said to the wise men, which knew the times. Now, now, isn't that's it, not like they got a stopwatch on on their arm or something, or a sundial in their pocket? No, they these men are the ones that understand how to make laws to rule over an entire empire of people of diverse cultures. They are responsible to help the king hold things together with people with different religious systems. How do you make an empire work from the Indus River all the way to Ethiopia, all the way to Greece? How do you make this work? You have got to have some geniuses on your staff. And they realize the severity of what has just happened, and this can not stand. So these men which knew the times, so, for so was the king's manner toward all those who knew law and judgment. And the next unto him was Karshina, Shathar, Admatha, Tarshish, Meres, Marsina, and memican The seven princes of Persia, which always saw the king's face and which sat first in the kingdom. These are the brain trust. These are his most trusted advisors, the ones that are responsible to make sure the empire runs smoothly. And he said, what shall we do to Queen Vashti according to the law? Because she has not performed the commandment of the king. If I remain silent, I will become poor, that's his name. She has not obeyed the commandment. She has disrespected me in front of all these women and in front of all these kings and princes in the entire empire. And if I remain silent, I will become poor. In verse 16, in answered before the king and all the princes, Vashti, Vashti, this ravishing beauty you selected for your queen, hath not done wrong to the king only, but she has also wronged all the princes in all the pr- people, in all the provinces of the king Akashvrosh. For this deed of the queen shall come abroad unto all women so that they shall despise. They will disrespect their husbands in their eyes. They will follow what the queen has done and if this happens, we are in trouble. And when it is reported that the king of Shoshaphirosh commanded Vashti the queen to be brought in before him but she did not come in Likewise shall the ladies of Persia and Media say this day unto all the king's princes which have heard of the deed of the queen, and they're gonna do the same thing, this is why this is so severe. See, let me finish this, thus shall there arise too much, or an overabundance of contempt of women for their husband in disrespecting their husbands, and the wrath that will ensue because it is turning about the entire framework of life. See, women need to be loved. They, and the love languages of women vary from one woman to another. You know, some women love gifts, some women love cuddling, some women love, you know, tender words and cards. You know, there are, this is what men have to do when, especially when they get married. You know, after the honeymoon wears off, they've gotta understand what does it take to communicate my love for my wife? Because what I think my wife needs may not be what my wife needs at all, but all women need love, but men need respect. And if men don't get respect, that is is the number one cause of divorce and marriage breakup in the world. See, men being unfaithful to their wives in the workplace, it's not because they find a woman who is more beautiful, it's because if what is happening at home And in public, the woman is always disrespecting her husband. And if this disrespect goes on for so long, then the man's self-image and self-confidence then begins to go down, and it affects everything that happens in his life. And so if a woman in the workplace, she doesn't have to be a trophy wife like he already may have, but if a woman in the workplace will show respect to this man that is the trap, a man will fall for that over and over and over again. And here, the most beautiful woman in the entire empire takes it upon herself to disrespect her husband in front of everyone, and we're gonna find out that she is going to be discarded for this very thing. Let's continue on, because this, this is a lesson not only in ancient Mesopotamia, it is a lesson for today, because human nature does not change. Women need love, men need respect, and it has to be a two-way street. Perhaps uh, Akashveros thought that letting his wife loose with you know, unlimited expense account, credit cards, throw the biggest party you can ever dream of, woman, have a great time, maybe he thought that that was her love language, that's what she wanted, but at the end of it, when he asked her to come in, then the blatant disrespect that the, the, the most brilliant minds in the empire know, this cannot stand. It is not right, we have to nip this thing in the bud. And so memican continues on, verse 19. If it please the king, Let there go a royal commandment from him, and let it be written among the laws of the Medes and Persians that it be not altered, because once a law is signed into effect of the Medes and Persians, it cannot be changed. That is the law of the Medes and Persians. Vashti shall come no more before the king, Akashvrosh. If I keep silent, I will become poor. Let the king give her royal estate unto another that is more deserving than she, and when the king's decree which he shall make shall be published throughout the empire, for his empire is truly great, then all of the wives, all of the wives, not only of the kings and the princes, but all the wives in the empire shall give their husbands honor, respect, both the great and small, to those of low degree and the most exalted. The women will honor and respect their husbands if you do this. Now, this advisement pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Mimican. He, if I remain silent, I will become poor, sent letters unto all the king's provinces unto every province according to the writing thereof, and to every people after their language. And there are many languages. There are many cultures that this has got to go out according to the law of the Medes and Persians so that everyone is made aware of this. And then when these kings take their wives back to their empires and this gets spread abroad, they are going to relate what happened in the capital in Shushan at the end of this six-month world fair party. And so, he sent letters into all the king's provinces and to every province according to the writing thereof every and to every people after their language that every man should bear rule in his own house. That the man should be the head of the house and that it should be published according to the language of every people we're going to take a break for just a moment to give you an opportunity to participate in this ministry we are being broadcast in over 127 countries around the world and this is amazing because I just realized this, 127 countries and that is how many countries and kingdoms were under the reign of Akashverosh. We are in 127 countries speaking the truth of the gospel of the kingdom, making people aware that the Torah is valid, it didn't pass away, Yeshua didn't come to destroy it, he came to verify it, to live it and to clarify it as the prophet of whom Moses spoke. And we are getting the gospel of the kingdom out to the world so that people are delivered from man-made religion. No matter what man made it up, no matter what men concocted it, we are going back to the word of the Almighty and being obedient to it, living by His word and by the Spirit. And this is your opportunity to give, to be part of this ministry, And as we are reaching out to you, now you have the opportunity and the blessing of giving so that we can reach out to others like you who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness. We'll give you just a couple moments and we'll be back with you. Now we have a chapter break. I think the chapter break is really in the wrong place here. We have the the edict that is going out, a law, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, that men should bear rule in their homes, that women should respect their husbands, and of course, if it's gonna be a pleasant household, uh, it doesn't even need to be said that men must love their wives. And that's the reason that a man and a woman come together to begin with in the first place, is because of the, the love, the affection that they have to each other. But again, that love has to be nourished by the husband and the respect has to be nourished by the wife toward her husband. And because this didn't take place, now Vashti is vanquished. The most beautiful woman, outwardly, but inside, there is something deeply wrong with this woman and she is not fit to be the bride of the king. And we now go into what transpires because of this, and this is why I believe this chapter marking really is in the wrong place. It was all added by men later anyway. So we're gonna continue on. After these things, when the wrath of the king, Akashverosh, if I remain silent, I would now be poor, he was, uh, he was appeased. The wrath of the king was appeased. And this is now three to four years later. According to chapter two, verse 16, by the time that Hadassah is brought into the court of the king, it says it is now the seventh year of the reign of the king. His party, in which Vashti was vanquished, was back in the third year of the reign of the king. Now Esther is brought in in the seventh year. So this is between three and four years after Vashti is vanquished, and it says that he remembered Vashti and what she had done. And, and th- this is, is serious. Now, you know, he he has other concubines. Uh, he He's in, no hard shape for, you know, uh, for, uh, for a female companionship but still there is something missing. He, he needs a bride who is worthy to be the queen and he realizes that he made a big mistake the first time. That beauty is not everything. It's gonna take much more in order for someone to be with him as he rules the empire. And so he remembered what Vashti had done and even though his wrath was subsided, he knew that he had made a mistake. And there is probably a lot of heartache that went along with this because Vashti is, doesn't indicate that she was executed, but you know, no one else can have her. She is in seclusion. She is never going to see the king's face again. She is, all of her needs are taken care of, but she herself, is not living much of a uh, a luxurious life knowing that she will never have the companionship of a man. And he, he remembered what was decreed against her. In verse two it says, then said the king's servants that ministered to him, let there be fair, young, beautiful virgins sought for the king. And let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom, that there may gather together all of the beautiful young virgins under Shushan the palace, to the house of the women, under the custody of Hege, the king's chamberlain, the keeper of the women. And let their things for purification be given them. And let the maiden which pleases the king, be queen instead of Vashti. Instead of this ravishing beauty trophy wife that you picked out the first time, you need to find a young, beautiful virgin that pleases the king. And this thing that they said pleased the king, and he did so. See, this time, he is now going to look for heart. He's going to look for intellect. He's going to look for a soulmate. And this is what's going to then bring us into the rest of the story because the next verse says, now in Shushan the palace, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai. That's where we're going to pick up next week on this. But see, in order to get the context, in order to get the feel of what is going on, we have to understand, you know, this is not modern day America. This is not a a Greek world. This is basically in, in Eastern and Oriental, in Arab world in which these people are living in. And one of the greatest helps to understand the Bible is to get back into the land, the language, the culture of the people so that it can fill in so that you're not just reading words on a page. Like when I was describing the couches you know, $10,000 worth of raw material itself. And having examples of this. See, living in the land of Israel, I have been led down paths to things that, that I would never, ever have even thought about going. I would never think about purchasing an expensive uh, servant's cover like this for my television programs, but it was given as a gift and at $600 a meter i wouldn't have been able to spend that you know at the time that i got this we weren't even spending six shekels to ride on a bus we would walk three miles instead of spending six shekels because six shekels was like a dollar 25 back then and so you know we we were living very frugally but yet the Almighty has his way of, of leading us down paths because he wants his word communicated to this generation. And so living in the land of Israel, I can then connect you with the land, the language, the, the culture. I can strip away a Western Gentile perspective and invite you to explore the Bible from a Hebrew, a Jewish perspective, and so that when we read the Gospels and the Gospel chronology, when we read that, I'm able to fill things in that could never happen had I not uh, spent the last 15 years living in the land of Israel uh, with my wife, Judith. But to understand this, I want to tell you a story that was translated from Arabic into the French language back in the 1700s and then from French into English. Uh, After that, in the early 1800s, it was then translated from Arabic into English, which was a much better job than than going through these two steps from Arabic to French to English, but it is now known as 1001 Arabian Nights. Uh, It was originally 1001 Nights but now it's become known as "The 1001 Arabian Nights. And I wanna tell you a little bit about this story because it's kind of a parallel. It is a fiction, but this is basically how the story goes. There was a king in the empire. His brother was the emperor, but he was the king in his area uh, and over his country. And he went out on a hunting trip and decided, after he had gotten out of town, they were camped, he decided that he was gonna sneak back into town because he just loved his wife so much he wanted to see her that night. So he came back into town and found her to be unfaithfully embraced with the lowest of servants. He was absolutely infuriated. There was no doubt, that, you know, he saw what was going on. They were in the boudoir together and he took out his scimitar and killed them both, took their bodies, threw them out the window into the dry moat outside of the city. Then he immediately got out of the city, went back out to the camp as if nothing happened. But he was very depressed. And he decided that that, that he was going to then Go see his brother. As a matter of fact, the grand vizier of his brother sent great wealth to him and in an invitation, please come visit him. And so he went to visit his brother and his brother entertained him. He's the emperor. He's like Akashveros. He's like Xerxes. And so he's entertaining his brother, but yet something is wrong. And a hunting trip is again planned. And so he said, you know, I just don't feel good. Please go on. I'm gonna stay behind. Well, at that point, he is overlooking the garden. And as soon as his brother, the emperor, leaves, all of his concubines and his wives are then, they go out into the garden and over the walls climb all the lowest of servants, and they are all engaged in an extramarital affair. Let's say say it that way. And when he sees this, then he realizes that he is not the, 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 the most pitiful person upon the earth. No, his brother, the emperor, has the very same thing. And so the next day, he's in uplifted spirits, he goes out and joins the, the hunting camp. And when he gets out there, he is just, he's kind of elated. And his brother then asks him, Why are you so happy? What happened? You were so depressed before. Please, you have to tell me. I demand it. You are my subject. You're my brother, but you're my subject. You have to tell me why you're so depressed. And so finally, he told him the story of how he took his scimitar and in one swipe killed his wife and his lover, and that's what made him so depressed. And the emperor felt so bad for him. And then he said, but why now? Are you so positive? And he would not let him go. He finally said, I'm only telling you this because you are commanding me, but this is what I have, have, had happened. When I went back, I saw your wife and all your concubines involved in the same thing. And the emperor couldn't believe it. And so he said, okay, follow me. They undercover, snuck back in, got into the apartment where the king was staying and then, as just before the sunset, then they saw the entire thing take place. Now the emperor is absolutely furious, and he has his wife strangled, all of the concubines killed, and then he decides, what am I going to do? Are there any faithful women in the empire? And so he decides that every night, every day, I'm going to marry another virgin. And in the morning, uh, my grand vizier, is then going to strangle them. That's going to keep them from being unfaithful to me. And so he does this week after week, month after month. The most beautiful maidens in the empire are brought before him. He's, he marries them. And then the following morning after the wedding night, the Grand Vizier has the job of strangling them to death probably not with his bare hands, probably with a cord, we don't know, then gives the detail in uh, in, uh, the Arabian Nights. And so then, the Grand Vizier's daughter, after the weeping and wailing of all the inhabitants of all the cities in the king's realm, the people are terrified because one after another, every single day, another beautiful virgin is executed. So she went to her father and said, and, "And the grand vizier's daughter was educated in philosophy. She had read all of the books in the empire. She was absolutely brilliant. She had a photographic memory. She was not only a treasure in beauty; she was a treasure in intellect. She understood the times. She understood how to communicate. And he was the she was the absolute treasure of his of her father." And she also had a younger daughter and she did not want her younger daughter or younger, excuse me, her younger sister did not want her executed in the same way. So she went to her father and begged him, please present me as the next bride of the emperor. And so finally, her father relented because she said she had a plan. So her father relented, went to the emperor, and the emperor couldn't believe it, that this treasure of the Grand Vizier is now going to be his wife, and knowing that the next morning, the Grand Vizier is the responsibility of strangling his oldest precious daughter, such an honor. And so the wedding night came, And the young virgin said, my Lord, allow my youngest sister to come. This is our last night. Let her be in the next chamber and let her come in and be with me because this is our last night together. And and he, he relented, he said yes because she was such a special, a special girl, and he could not deny the daughter of the Grand Vizier this simple one last pleasure. And so she made a deal with her younger sister. An hour before sunrise, you wake up and say, Sister, tell me again one last time. Tell me a story. And so she woke her up, and the emperor was in the room and heard the whole thing. And so she begins telling her this story. And it is so captivating. It is so enthralling. She's, and, and She ends with, and, and this, it, it gets even more incredible, more glorious, this story becomes even more glorious. And so at, at, at this point, she says to the emperor, please allow me to live one more night so that I can tell the rest of the story to my younger sister. And the emperor was so enthralled in this story, he said, why, yes, yes, one more night so you can finish the story. He couldn't wait to hear the story. Couldn't wait. And so the next night, she then, the same thing, an hour before sunrise, she begins telling the rest of the story. And this goes on the next night. And the next night, without, without a question, the emperor says, please, I, I wanna hear more of the story. And so for a thousand and one nights, she weaves these intricate stories together that never end, they tie all together. And so you end up with the story of Simbad the sailor, and, and uh, Ali Alibaba and the 40 Thieves. You end up with all these stories over these one thousand and one nights and it is, ladies and gentlemen, these stories are so incredible, so fascinating. A lot of them, they've you know, they've made their way to Disney, but these are not children's stories, okay? The original unabridged is not children's reading by any stretch of the imagination, but they are such incredible stories that, that take you right back into that day and time because there is not a whole lot of technological difference between the times of Xerxes and the time of the, the estimate of Charlemagne uh, in, uh, in, in Europe uh, of which the thousand and one nights were, were actually uh, written at that time. But there's not a lot of technology difference. And so when you read this story, it just fills it in with so much depth and so much character. And so it is day after day, night after night, And at the end of One Thousand and One Nights, when she comes to the conclusion of this intricate, interwoven story, she now has a young child, another baby on the way, and there is no way that the emperor is going to lose the absolute treasure of his life. She is not only striking in beauty, but everything about her is a virtuous woman. And this gives just a little bit of light into this situation of what is about to transpire in Babylon, in Shushan the palace. Because we are going to see that this is not fiction, ladies and gentlemen, this is real life. The name of the Almighty, yod Vavhe, vav does not appear anywhere in this text. But you can see his direction from the throne room of heaven in everything that goes on. And this is, in their day, the one world government, the one world empire. The law of the Medes and Persians is what stands, and we are going to see that the Jews are going to be singled out for a complete extermination. Why? Because they keep the Torah. They worship, not the emperor, but they worship the one true God. And because of this very thing, because they worship the one true God, we're gonna see an Agagite, the offspring of King Agag, is going to put in play an extermination policy to wipe out every last person, and including the bride of the king. Ladies and gentlemen, this is what is playing out again in this generation. All the nations of the world are coming together again. A novus ordo aquorum, a totalitarian viewpoint of masters and slaves, of a, a Greek mindset, of those who are the guardian class and the laity and we are going to see that the Almighty's hand is not short in this day and time. That the Almighty is able to preserve his people. He can orchestrate things beyond the wildest imagination and when you see what the Almighty does in response to those who decide they are going to risk their life to do the right thing, you are going to see that heaven is on the side of the righteous and that he has a plan to preserve and to save his people in the most desperate of times, when it looks like there is no hope, when the people have no way to protect themselves, every bit of ability to arm themselves and protect themselves against what is going to come to pass, the complete annihilation, it turns completely about because the Almighty is still in charge of the universe. So, Join us again next week as we go into Hadassah and the purification. Enough with the myrrh already. Now, I would like to leave you with this blessing. This is the blessing that the priest of Aaron, the Aaronic priesthood, were commanded to put the name of the Almighty, yod heh vav upon the people. And when they speak this particular blessing, the Almighty will hear from heaven and he will then bless his people. See, I don't need to know what your problems are. I don't need to know what your needs are. All I need to do is be obedient to what the scripture says to do. And I'm not gonna speak this blessing under the authority of the Aaronic priesthood, far from it. I'm going to speak it under a far greater authority. The authority of the priesthood of the Malach Zadik, the king of righteousness, Yeshua, who is the high priest forever after the order of the Malach Zadik, and he has made us priests and kings. And I will speak this blessing, and you then can receive this blessing. I'm going to hold my hands in the way that the priest would hold their hands to signify yud, hey, vav, hey, when it became illegal for the priest to actually speak the name. But they would hold their hands in this form. Now, of course, many of you recognize this from Star Trek, Leonard Nimoy, Live Long and Prosper. He's Jewish, a kohen, okay? This is the intergalactic blessing, live long and prosper, but really the ironic blessing is so much deeper, it is so much richer than that, because this is what the Almighty said to do. And so now, if you'll receive this blessing, I now speak it under the authority of the kohen gadol forever after the order of the Melech Yahovah, Yivarechaka Yehovah v'ishmarecha. Yair Yehovah v'anavilecha Vihunaka. Yisah Yehovah. Paraveh l'aka vaysem shalom. Hashem Yeshua ha shalom. Yahovah bless you and keep you. Yahovah make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Yahovah lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen and amen. Shabbat shalom. Shavuot tov. Have a good week, and I'll see you next week.